Hey, what's up? It's Jared Hill. Welcome to the show. So today I have another interview for you on the Creator Series. I really enjoyed getting the last one put up and have gotten some good feedback from it. I just really enjoy having conversations with people that uh, I've gotten to know and just to dig into the past and kind of unlock some of the little nuggets of interesting uh, lessons and stuff learned over the years as a person kind of progresses into a entrepreneurial role or a creative role or whatever it is. And so today I have Ross Thomas, who is the Brotographer. He runs a Instagram channel with over 138,000 followers that he has built up uh, by producing content and he's working on growing a YouTube channel and also has uh, just a lot of other cool things going on. So as I've gotten to know Ross, we have kind of dug into his background a little bit. I've just been learning things about him and I thought you know it would be really interesting to get this guy on the show and thankfully he is local to me and so we were able to sit down together in my studio and this podcast is that interview that conversation that we had together so I hope you enjoy it let's get started One of the first things that I do when I'm researching something such as a business or an idea is check to see if the domain name is available. I've been buying my domains lately from Namecheap.com. I used to avoid the lower priced, especially the ones with the low price names, but Namecheap is actually a fantastic company and has a really good online system for managing your domains. Their pricing, of course, is great and their customer service is great as well. So right now you can get uh, com domain names for under nine dollars for your first year they've got hosting and all other sorts of resources available so make sure you go to jared.link slash namecheap the link is down in the show notes below hope you enjoy it all right so today we are here with ross thomas he goes online by the brotographer and uh the reason that i wanted to have him on the podcast is just because uh, i've gotten to know this guy a lot over the last six months or so and uh just the more that um i peel back just in you know as we get to know people we we learn more about them uh i just thought it would be really interesting to like really dive into uh entrepreneurial efforts the background there just being in business being in business with your spouse um, just a lot of cool things that I think would just be interesting for us to unpack and talk about. So, uh, I want to introduce Ross to all of you. So welcome Ross. Thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. So here's my, uh, under, this is what I know of Ross. Um, of course, like, you know, like I said, I've gotten to know this guy a little bit. We traveled to NAB together, the National Association of Broadcasters. So of course, a little bit of air travel, a little bit of uh, sharing a hotel room and getting some breakfast and just different stuff. We had a lot of chances to talk and kind of get to know each other. But even just like in, you know, seeing what each other shares to social media and, uh, you know, learning more about each other. Um, I just, you know, uh, don't know everything. But uh, Ross has a uh, pretty successful Instagram feed um, in and around the photography space and also owns a gym, which is very impressive. I've been inside of it and um, really utilizes uh, photography um, as a form of, of delivering the story and the message of what they're trying to achieve with their, with their gym. And also not only just to tell a story of fitness and, and well-being, but also to, of course, market it and to, um, 
just differentiate themselves from the competitors because the fitness space is like super competitive. So, uh, so we're going to dance around a little bit today and talk about some different things. Um, so are you down? I'm down. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. So, uh, so his Instagram is the Brotographer. And so I want to start there and just uh, where'd the name come from? Uh, where did that start? Like what inspired you to start a, uh, that is your Instagram name? And, and maybe what did you envision it being at the beginning? I mean, I know what it is now. We know what it is now. What was it at the beginning? Well, as far as the name goes, I don't think I really put too much thought behind it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had a a previous business that had sort of an empty vessel name, if you will, didn't really have to do with anything. And um, I kind of just wanted to brand myself as a, originally a a photographer. I'm in no way uh, a frat boy or anything like that with the whole bro moniker. And sometimes uh, that gets thrown on me, but I am definitely not a frat boy. But uh, it was just honestly a fun way to... uh, just, just to have fun with the name. I'm always thinking of like fun business names, you know, that have good puns in them or anything like that. And that one I, I liked and I, I kind of ran with and that's just where it came from. Just a, just a fun name that popped into my head one day. Well, I know there's some, some brand awareness there essentially, because when we were at NAB, uh, there were other creators running around and they recognized you by face and knew you by the brotographer name. So, uh, as far as like differentiating yourself from just using maybe your, your own name where you're maybe a a Ross among others or, you know, a Jared among others, it definitely, it definitely sticks. Absolutely. And that kind of went through my mind a little bit in the very beginning. Um, cause I, I did start, you know, shooting some portraits and getting into that whole, whole world. That's very competitive, obviously with everyone picking up a camera now. And I, I thought about using my own name for a while. I had Ross Thomas Photography as one and the Brotographer, kind of the, the blogging social media side on the other. And I thought, you know, most people use their, their real names to market themselves. Um, the Hill Group, there you go. Um, but uh, I, I constantly questioned for, you know, six months to a year, do I change the Brotographer to have more to do with Ross or do I keep Ross out of it and just keep it kind of a, uh, not an empty vessel, if you will, but kind of this overarching umbrella business blogging thing. And in the end, I, uh, I kind of determined to, I'd keep the Brotographer as the moniker, but, but personalize it more and have me essentially become the Brotographer and like you said, I, in, in the beginning, I didn't want to be recognized as the brotographer and never thought I would or anything like that. But it's kind of morphed and, and turned into that over time. So I kind of turned that, um, that empty vessel name without having to do anything with me um, into kind of my, my shtick, if you will. So was your original thought when kind of creating the brotographer that you were going to be mainly you know, showcasing gear and talking about stuff or was there a different direction originally? Yeah. So I, I kind of, well, taking it back to Ross Thomas photography, um, had my photography and I've, I've just always loved the, the gear side of it. Um, I wasn't a creative person. I have terrible penmanship. I can't draw. I'm not artistic, but with photography and in the beginning, just a little bit of video, I felt like I could do something in that artistic world and I like how uh, electronics have, have just allowed me to do that. But um, 
I, I blogged a few times about gear on my Ross Thomas photography website, and I thought, that's eh, not really the place for it. I kind of want a place to do that. And so um, that's where it kind of started. I just wanted to talk about the gear I already had, um, reach out to a couple brands, see if I could talk about more gear. You know, I think 50-50, I, I enjoy the art of it just as much as I enjoy the tech side of it. And that's where the Brotographer came. Uh, that's how it came to be. And I didn't really have any... It, the bro part of that, that word didn't really play into the Brotographer for at least a few years. You know, I didn't really market myself as, you know, the gym guy. Because at that time, we didn't own the gym. Um, didn't really show off the fitness stuff that much. I had a couple articles that uh, we showed off, you know, fitness stuff. But... Um, the bro side of it, I've really tried to, as of late, kind of latch on that side of the business onto more of my content, and uh, I, I think it's worked out well. But in the beginning, it was just more of a place for me to dump my thoughts on lenses and cameras and uh, occasionally electronics. So do you, do you think you started out uh, as more of a desire just to kind of scratch a creative itch or that your desire was really to build something into a kind of putting you into that influencer role? I think it was more, more of the second one. Um, I didn't really, it wasn't maybe not necessarily to get me into an influencer role, but I kind of just wanted to try and become a blogger. And YouTube um, wasn't something that I had done at the time. I mainly stuck to Instagram and just writing. And I do less and less writing now and more and more uh, social stuff. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was really to kind of just scratch the itch to become a blogger and kind of just see where that went. Um, so, yeah. Awesome. So let's, let's go back. Cause I, you know, I, I'm a firm believer that like anybody can start a business, but most of us, if we have some desire inside, like it, it stems from something like, you know, childhood or whatever, maybe, you know, uh, you sold lemonade on the street corner as a kid or whatever. Um, you know, mom or dad had a garage sale and you made a few bucks selling a toy and you're like, all right, I kind of like this. Um, what, what is maybe your moment that you can recall from early on, like, uh, early childhood? Is there anything there that, that you experienced that you can point back to? Well, my parents have always been really hardworking. My dad is a, uh, was a teacher and my mom uh, owned two, well, ran two thrift stores for the school who my dad worked for, for a private school. And uh, they've just always been extremely hard workers and never complained, uh, essentially put in overtime for no overtime, those types of people. And it was kind of understood, oh, it's during the summer, you get a job. And so I started working for uh, some family members in a shaved ice business that they had had for many years. And uh, I ran that every summer, worked for them, worked for them, kept working more and more and more. And as they went on to live their lives, I kind of took more as a of a role into that. And uh, after college, well, my senior year in college, kind of figuring out what I wanted to do, I was a marketing major, which for me didn't really have a, a career path. You know, I wasn't forced to do an internship or anything like that in college. I'd, I worked, you know, several jobs at my university, at Applebee's, things like that during college while I played basketball. But uh, I kind of needed to figure out something to do after college. And uh, I didn't really have any career path in mind. I, I kind of didn't want to work for somebody else. Um, I had aspirations in the back of my mind to maybe try and work for Nike or an athletic clothing brand or something like that. 
Um, but I didn't really take any huge steps in making that happen. That was kind of on me. Um, but I, I did know the, the shaved ice business very well. And uh, by that time, um, all of the, the cousins that I had worked for had grown up and gone on to other jobs. And uh, the previous summer before I graduated, it was the first year in maybe 15 years that that business did not actually run during the summer because it was a seasonal business. And so I thought, you know, I've got this, this marketing degree. Um, I don't really know how to be an entrepreneur, uh, but I kind of want to see, see where I can take this. We're, we're here in the Valley. I was in Kings County. It is so hot and the business kind of already had a name for itself. So I decided to borrow some money from family as so many of us do. And, uh, have two of these giant oranges, two new ones, um, fabricated. Now we had worked out of an old one that was up and down highway 99 here. Um, one of those wait, old wait, style. Wait a minute. So the orange, and if you've, if you've, if you are from or live in California, or have ever driven down highway 99, kind of in the middle of nowhere,sville, but in, and you probably, it's not there anymore, No. but it used to be there. There was this giant orange like literally the size of a small store. Yep. And I remember driving by that. So that was your family's. No, 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 no. So that was one of many oranges I'm told. Oh. So up and down Highway 99, apparently there were, because the citrus was everywhere, there were yeah. lots of um, orange Julius stands, orange stands. I believe that one was a hamburger stand. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Because it was really big. You That's know, right. they had a That's kitchen right. in there. That's right. But the orange that uh, my cousins had, I was told, was an old school Orange Julius stand oh. back in the day. And so they, they placed it on a trailer, giant fiberglass orange, if you can imagine a Pac-Man. Um, that's that's what it looked like. Yeah. So I wanted to, to, to expand on that. And uh, so I had two of them fabricated, brand new molds um, to my specs, borrowed the money for that. And it was my goal to, you know, pay that, pay those off within three years, you know, like a, a typical business. And um, so ran that for a couple of years and uh, it did pretty well. I was fortunate enough to gain some traction in the community. Uh, the new town that we were selling in really liked it. I had a daily location instead of doing just events and uh, grew and grew. And my luck would have it. I started dating this girl that I had gone after for many years and her father uh is just amazing in business and still is and uh you know basically learned everything I know from my big orange days and from uh from Beth's dad and uh he helped me he helped me set up the business in such a way to kind of think about the future and so as I grew and grew and grew I was able to um you know demonstrate you know, the kind of sales we're having and that's where I feel like at the turning point in me just owning my own business was. I turned from just owning it to building something for myself. And uh, we eventually built it up. And my wife, you know, had the, the itch to move back home. Um, and so I said, why not? Let's, let's, let's try and sell it. And with the help of him, we're able to find a buyer and, and make it a good deal for them and a good deal for us. And so sold that first business. And that was a, that was a really big turning point for me, um, to sell that first business. And, uh, so that's where I got that entrepreneurial itch. And, um, so we moved up and uh, became a software developer, which was very different. That entrepreneurial itch was still there, but I, I go ahead. So, so before we, before we dive down, down that path, so how many of these, 
uh, shaved ice stands did you have? So I had you, two of them. You had two of them. Okay. Very cool. And yeah. uh, um, so you had employees. Yeah, I had about four or five employees at okay. the time, and they're they're part time, and uh, did my best to run it. Uh, it was seasonal, but we have so much sunshine here, and it's so hot that I could almost run it eight months out of yeah. the year. Yeah, so of course. Lots of lots of sunny events that you can go to in late March and early April, all the way you know up through October. And so you were in your real early twenties when you were. Yeah, I graduated running. college at uh, twenty two, so started that when I was twenty two. And, um, well, kept doing it, started the, the ownership side when I was 22 and I think we sold when I was 25, 26, somewhere around there. Nice. Not a bad uh, age to have your first exit. Yeah. Yeah. It's really good. <laughs> um, so w- during that time of, of running those businesses, being seasonal, um, essentially not having any revenue in the off season, mm-hmm. um, hiring employees that are also seasonal, which means they're not making careers, mm-hmm. um, you know, what, what are, what's a, what's a challenge or two that was like the biggest pain point for you in having those businesses? I would say those types of employees that I had were great. Uh, they were hard workers. I mean, anybody willing to sit out in the sun when it's a hundred to 110 out they're they're not complainers. So, uh, they were great. They were hard workers. Um, I'd say the biggest challenge is honestly the, the, making of the the shaved ice it requires a little bit of touch um i did it a little bit different than they do it in hawaii in hawaii sometimes they let the ice drop and they scoop it up and smack it onto like a big flower petal thing i actually would hand pack it into styrofoam cups and so you had to have a real light hand it couldn't be too hard it couldn't be too loose or the syrup would go right through it um but i think teaching how to teaching people how to properly make it because the customers had come to expect a certain level of quality. Um, Showing them how to do that with consistency and speed was probably one of my biggest challenges. Um, Consistency in the product, you know, if you go anywhere, any chain, anything like that, you know the product that you're going to get. So expanding to multiple locations and not having my hand there every second of every day is probably the biggest challenge. Um, But, but, Finding the right people who were just willing to try hard um, was was very good. Nice. So you'll have to excuse the pun. I just absolutely have to say it. But so in your case, the money was in the orange stand. The money was definitely in the orange Not stand. Not in the banana stand. Nope. I That's thought about making another fruit, though. Yeah? <laughs> what would it have been? Oh, I thought about a peach, a lemon, something yeah. like that, that we could reuse a mold, reuse the mold from, and... Uh, Oh, uh, it probably cool. wouldn't have been a banana. That would have been really expensive. But yeah, it but would some, have been a narrow booth. But some other type of citrus. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Awesome. Okay. So, uh, so after that, you transitioned into software development, which you didn't study in college. Nope. I am. Uh, so how I, did you transition from a? I'm a marketer by education uh, to developing software. Well, uh, income, my family. Mm-hmm. Um, my father-in-law also owns a software development company. And when my wife wanted to move up here and uh, we sold the business, I needed something to do. And uh, I've always just been accustomed to working hard. Um, but software development was, a, it was a, a different way of thinking for me and something that I wasn't used to. I can power through you know, 12-hour days of manual labor, um, not easily, but mentally I can power through. Making that transition into software, that was a challenge for me. And uh, um, I'm out of it now, but I can I can honestly say in the five or six years that I was there, 
Uh, I worked hard, but I was definitely not the most talented. And that was a, a humbling experience to be in as, a, as an employee, um, also to work for your family because you, you know you can't slack off. Um, you know there are other guys and girls in the office who are much brighter than you. So I'd you know, routinely have to put in 10 and 12-hour days to get the eight hours of work in um, that, that those people uh, were able to do. But um, so that, that was a, a, a very good experience for me because software development is all about problem solving. You have one problem. Um, you, well, you have a problem. You need to get to a solution or you just need to get to an end goal. And there are many ways to go and do that. You can take the windy path, but uh, figuring out how to think in a, in a straight line that's logical that can be duplicated was something that I hadn't had to do before. So I think that was a really good exercise in my brain for, for several years. A lot of the times I'd be more tired at the end of a, a heavy software day than I would be at a, you know, as opposed to like a 12 hour day in the sun. Cause it just, it drains you in a whole different way, but it was a very good experience in that it, it taught me how to think in a different way. Um, I've been out of it for a few years now, but I still think differently and I think better than I used to. Um, especially now that I'm an entrepreneur again. Yeah, so your so your time in software development uh, retrained your brain a little bit and how you uh, how you deal with processes, how you deal with like resolution of you know just any situation. Absolutely. So I think like one of the biggest things for me in in uh, being an entrepreneur again and having a business is running a business is there are a lot of ways to get to that end result. But I think only because I was a software developer do I now get to the end result and look back and say, okay, did I do this right? Is there a better way to do this? Even though there's no problems at hand, I constantly look back and say, okay, we, we fixed that problem or we, we got to a solution. But I always think, was that the right way? And I'm constantly second-guessing myself. Yeah. And uh, I think that's a, a, a good way to go about things yeah. as, to a point. You know, don't second just don't second guess yourself yeah. so much that you're paralyzed and you can't move the next time. But just to to go back and analyze what you've done. Well, software development's a good analogy for a lot of things because um, you can get a whole bunch of code to compile and have the end result, but there could be tons of resources that are eight, that Spaghetti are eating code. up um, in that process. You know, think about. Uh, an app that you download on your phone and for whatever reason it's like sucking your battery dry but it doesn't seem like it's doing a whole lot mm -hmm. it's you know probably not optimized and and wasn't put together very well so it's it's an interesting way to to train your brain and essentially you want to make sure that you get to the result the goal or whatever it is that you're trying to achieve but you want to make sure that you're doing it in a way that honors the resources that are available to you and not, not only just so that you don't run yourself dead, but so that it's sustainable for the future. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, you know, you'd, you'd come across problems like that all the time where you, you fixed it, you got the data out you needed to get to, or something happened on the screen that needed to happen. And then you'd go to a different page and you realize, wow, that screwed everything up. Yeah. So then you, you know, have to go back down the rabbit hole. And, and a lot of times it became a, a waterfall of, of problems that you'd have to climb back up and, f and fix one and fix one and fix one. But, um, but yeah, it definitely retrained my brain to uh, just think in a different way. So at what point did photography start to enter into your life as, as far as the timeline? We're kind of going up your timeline here or down your timeline. 
Um, when did photography enter? So I, uh, I was a couple years into software development and kind of had that itch that we were talking about. Um, I've never, I never thought of myself as someone who had to have something on the side, had to have something on the side, but I, I started to realize I kind of have to have something that I have ownership over. Um, not in a prideful way or anything like that, but just something that I'm passionate about doing. And I, I enjoyed software development and, you know, I loved it at times. Hoorah. It's infuriating at times. You go home at the end of the day and you can't figure out that problem. Um, but I kind of needed an outlet, I think because of that, because my brain was always working all the time. Um, so I started a t-shirt business. Okay. And, uh, it was kind of a, a fitness lifestyle, you know, fun fitness designs, things like that. Um, sold t-shirts and some accessories from China and things like that. And, uh, needed, needed to shoot some of my own photography. And, uh, so like we all do, I went to Costco and bought my first DSLR and started shooting some of the product photography for that. So let's let's talk about the t-shirt business for and the accessories business for a minute. Because oh, I also had a supplement company, by the way. Another, okay, <laughs> we'll, we'll dive into that too. But I, it's interesting me to the t-shirt designs and stuff like that because at the beginning of our episode, you identified as a non-creative, and and so. How did that look? Were you doing the designs? Did you outsource that? How was that process? I, I did a lot of the designs. They were easy to do with fonts, a lot of them, sure. you know, just, just sayings and things like that. Um, but I, I did start to learn a little bit of Photoshop and Illustrator because of that. I, I don't know Illustrator anymore. Um, haven't had to do that since the labels on my, my supplement company. But, um, but yeah, I did some of the Photoshop. I occasionally paid for a design, you know, gave someone direction and did it that way. But, uh, but yeah, I, I guess I created in that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I just, I wanted to stop there for a second because, you know, I, I will tell people I'm not a very creative person. Um, but that is subjective to what I consider is a creative person. That's very true. And so I look at, you know, someone who can draw like you know I've, I've got a buddy who's just an amazing artist with pretty much anything he could put in his hand mm -hmm. and so to me I'm like I'm not creative because he is but then like again if I handed him a camera he wouldn't know what to do he barely sure. knows how to turn on his phone so there's a lot of different ways that he's not it's just different it's right. different but we when we talk about creative being creative or the creative process or whatever we tend to really just silo all of that and forget that it's, there's so many facets to it. Sure. So I, yeah, I was just interested to, to touch on that for a second. So, yeah. so the t-shirt and accessories, you did that for a little bit. Did that you for got a little into bit. photography. I would say photography was more of a means to an end at that point. Yeah. I got the camera to take pictures of the products and then, uh, you know, I had my first kit lens and all that. And then, uh, I still hadn't mastered my camera. I didn't know the difference between, you know, aperture and shutter speed and ISO and all that good stuff. And, uh, you know, I, like so much of us do, I was like, oh, I, I want this, 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 this big zoom lens. And it was like 600 bucks or something like that. And it was 18 to 200, I think, um, to go with my Canon and, uh, didn't have any clue to look at the aperture or whatever, but, uh, bought that, bought some, um, you know, constant lights. I bought some like lamps. Bought a, I, I think I built my first light tent and it was made out of foam core and I would bounce the light off each side instead of like shooting through any diffusion. But um, 
shot my products that way. Didn't really know what I was doing. Um, the creative side, I remember specifically, I, I started, you know, gaining some revenues from that business and didn't know why, but I knew I wanted to invest back into it. And uh, bought like a 5D Mark III, went from a T3i to a 5D Mark III, spent way too much money. Quite a jump. Quite a jump. Um, you know, ignored some of the advice of, of other photographers who I asked about, you know, camera stuff, the old question that I asked daily. I'm sure you do as well. What camera do I need to buy? Yeah. Um, so I bought that, bought like a 50 mil 1.4, uh, a couple other lenses, something like that. And uh, I remember taking one picture and I kind of accidentally moved the aperture to 1.4 on that, that 50 mil and realized, oh, that just looks so much better. Uh, what I was shooting, the, the background's out of focus and kind of just by happenstance figured out, oh, there's a whole other world to this and really, really enjoyed it. And uh, started doing my research and learning and reading, you know, blogs on the internet and SLR lounge and F stoppers were amazing in teaching me. Um, but yeah, just, just blogs and YouTube and just like I do with anything. Typically the story of my life has been, I'm either all in or not in at all. Um, so I just, I dove head first into just learning everything about my camera and what it could do. Why not just hire a photographer to shoot your product photos? And I honestly never even crossed my mind. I just, Wanted you just wanted to do, to do it. it. Yeah, yeah just like, wanted to do it. I have a need. I'm going to go get what I need and I'll figure it out. Absolutely. Yep. Okay, that's cool. Um, so what? whatever happened with that business? What? So that business, um, it did really well for a while. And I had kind of a deal with a, a big fitness personality who has, I mean, you know, well over a million YouTube subscribers now. How long ago was this? probably four years ago, okay. so four or five years ago. So like in social was a thing. Their influencers were just getting started. Yeah. Instagram was, was getting pretty big at the time. Um, it was still chronological Yep. at the time. And good old days. The good old days. And so, yeah, I, you know, I struck this deal with this guy based out of LA, made some, you know, signature watches and shirts and kind of branded him, um, created his own brand w within mine and uh, so he pushed a lot of that that clothing out and um, made a whole bunch of money had some really fun designs I was one of the first people to sh to sell the uh, Abraham Lincoln abolished slavery tank tops so you know people like a good pun like mm -hmm. I said and so mm -hmm. I sold you know reddit picked that one up um, and it just blew up you know I sold you know a couple hundred in one day so Wow. Started to get some, some revenues and just kept reinvesting everything. And my wife, bless her heart, was cool with that. And um, eventually, just like with anything, I didn't, I would say, a lot of it was on me. Um, while the going was good, I wasn't thinking about the future enough. Sure. Um, so, you know, I had one good relationship and I wasn't thinking about how to to maximize my revenues and what's going on, develop more relationships and uh, didn't have any clear direction. And I also, I didn't really identify who my target customer was. And I think that was a really, really big mistake on my part. So I didn't identify who those people were I was going after on Instagram for my marketing. You know, I didn't identify 
who I wanted to sell this clothing to. I just thought I'll make a bunch of fun designs and we'll see what happens. So I was doing a lot of uh, dropship stuff and it wasn't costing me to create designs and I'd sell them one off. Um, so I didn't really identify the path that I wanted that brand to take. And because of that, when, um, you know, that relationship slowed down and we didn't make as much signature stuff, the, the brand kind of just went by the wayside and I eventually thought, that's eh, not really worth it for me. And at that point, I decided I'm just going to take everything I learned. I realized I love the photography um, way more than I like the the t-shirt business, even sure. though the t-shirt business is good. And I thought that's when I'll start the blog and I'll kind of make that my quote unquote side hustle and okay. just see where it goes. And my wife has been amazing. I told her, you know, give me, give me a couple years and we'll, we'll see where this thing takes us. Um, so, so here we are now a couple years later. Okay. And so, so from the, initial photography education you gave yourself through, you know, content on the web and stuff like that. Um, you transitioned into, were you doing shoots for people? Like, were you, uh, doing like family portraits or anything like that? Like what, where did your photography career start to become its own instead of becoming a attachment to another business? So I, yeah, I started, you know, um, marketing myself as, you know, Ross Thomas photography while still doing the photographer on the side. And I mainly did portrait shoots and, uh, I loved portrait shoots, but I kind of realized pretty early on that, you know, the market is heavily saturated in this area for people that are doing engagements. Um, I never wanted to do weddings, uh, but engagements and portraits, uh, things like that. So I, I identified pretty early on that uh, I didn't want to continue down that route. I think that so many people get pigeonholed into just one thing. And uh, while portrait shoots and weddings and all that stuff is great and amazing for a lot of people, I knew I wouldn't really find any joy in it. And I really wanted to take ownership of what I was shooting. And uh, those things also, they, they make quicker money, right? You shoot something, you deliver, you get paid, and uh, if that's what you need, then then that's great, and you can definitely do that. Um, but I did have that nine, well, nine to five is a stretch. <laughs> it was uh, more like 10 hours a day, but I did have that steady job. And uh, my wife was working on and off, doing other things and being a mom. And so we, you know, we had enough income to survive, and uh, she's, she's always been great to not kill the boy and the man, she says, and to allow, you know, your husband to have that, have that outlet and something that he enjoys doing. So I kind of, uh, put all the effort and time that I would have put into shooting and editing other people's stuff into doing that blog at that point and, um, getting a little traction online. I just, it doesn't hurt to ask is what I always tell people. Just do it. Just shoot it. Just ask people. People are like, Oh, uh, I can't start a blog. I don't have anything new to say or, um, well, everyone else is doing that. There's probably, a, you know, thousands and thousands of photography blogs out there. Um, and they, people always tell me like, well, why, why would I be any different? Well, if you never try, you're never going to get anywhere. If you never, you know, if you're afraid to fail, you're never going to fail the next time and the next time and the next time and then succeed. You know, you're never going to slowly build your Instagram audience if you're not willing to post something, you know, every day. And so, um, she, she allowed me to work all day, 
go to the gym, spend time with the kids, and then work all night. I'd, I'd come home and work four or five hours on the photographer and and shoot photos in my office and outdoors at night and the afternoon and come home and write and uh, slowly build up this audience. So that's what I did while I was still working as a software developer. So you mentioned, um, you know, people have a fear of failure. What would you consider in everything we've talked about so far to be a failure of yours that you may have learned the most about or from? I would say identify the space you're in and identify the audience in that space that you need to identify. I think that was the biggest failure for me is just not identifying that audience. I had a supplement brand and didn't really identify that the space I was in was just oversaturated and I was not any different. Um, and then didn't identify that, that target customer. And so I couldn't market, I was marketing to no one. Mm -hmm. Um, with the t-shirt business, I was essentially just marketing out in the ethos, um, not to any specific person, not identifying, you know, my target age and gender and all those demographics that, that, that people need, you know, when you watch Shark Tank and they ask you like, do you know your numbers? You know, do you know, uh, your customer acquisition costs and all those things like that? I had no clue what any of that was. And so, um, failing forward in that way, learning from those mistakes, uh, was, was huge. You know, it wasn't a complete failure. Most of the time I'd make my money back, but they were never like highly successful endeavors. Um, but just I, I made it a point with the photographer just to say, like, who's my target audience? Because I'm learning when I send out these emails, you know, asking these companies for a bag to review or gear to review or something like that. They're asking me, you know, uh, my analytics and who my who my audience is. And so realizing pretty early on that I have to know that stuff. So, you know, I learned from those mistakes and didn't make them anymore. When you're in your opinion, what do you think is the difference? Well, say you know, we're trying to target a specific person or a, a person with specific interests or a group of people, hopefully. There's more than one person with that interest. Um, but why do you think that that's important to kind of to know that much about who you're trying to reach as opposed to just throwing it out there and and saying like, well, you know, uh, when, I, when I decide I want a sports drink or a soda, I walk in, I open up the fridge at the local gas station and I'm just kind of scanning like, you know, how, how, how do you determine who you're going to market to um, as opposed to just saying, well, I'll just put it out there and hopefully one out of 10 bite. Right. And I think that I did that a little bit as well. But I think the, the biggest reason for me to identify who that audience was, at least in the beginning, say on Instagram, was growth. You know, if I could identify who wanted to um, look at a picture and, and or talk about a piece of gear that, you know, got more engagement and that more engagement made, you know, Instagram show more people that content. And, um, I think, I think that's why that was so huge for me, um, was specifically for growth. And so the consistency the, helped the growth. Yeah. And in, in the social media world, if I just, you know, threw this at the wall and this at the wall and this at the wall, um, not everyone would respond well. And I, I realized pretty early on, I've, I've said this in a talk before, I realized that aspirations are something to, to show online. And, um, you know, I was really lucky with one business to get a whole bunch of revenue. So I could invest in the gear that 
I thought would make me a better photographer or video person, which wasn't necessarily true. But other people, you know, also had those dreams of owning that camera or that lens or something like that. So for me to be able to talk about it, not even necessarily, I'm definitely not an expert and I'm still learning every single day. Um, but just to be able to be in a position to talk about it and be one of them was really important for me. Like, hey, I'm just learning too. I have this and I don't know everything about it, but this part of it's really cool and I was able to shoot this. Like, what do you think about it? And it just, it it garnered engagement for me and I think that was that was really important. So, um, so uh, these are lessons you're obviously learning hands-on, right? Absolutely. These are not things that, are these things that you you can look back at your marketing education and say like, there's education there that helped me, that helped prevent me from making these types of mistakes or? Unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, I would say no. Um, I think I, I, I really did learn and am learning hands-on every single day. My marketing education was interesting in that it gave me the theoretical background for everything, but I look back on it now and I see I was, you know, I was in school from, you know, I was at college from 2006 to 2010. And that point in time was tumultuous in the marketing world. Social media was so new, you know, MySpace was ending and Facebook was just gaining traction. That's when all the, the college kids were getting their first um, social accounts. And I don't even think Instagram was really even a big thing at all during that time. And so the tide was sort of shifting and my education mainly dealt with the old school yeah. ways of marketing. And uh, I knew I wasn't ever going to be a TV producer or anything like that. Um, I, I didn't have aspirations to be, you know, that lofty in, in marketing or advertising or anything like that. So I didn't really learn the emerging technologies very much uh, because edu my education was so steeped in the past. And yeah, so because I, they didn't, it just wasn't a part of education at it, that point. It wasn't. Unless you had a really progressive exactly. professor or whatever, yep. it, it just wouldn't have been there. That was the same thing for me um, about 10 years earlier when I was trying to get an education in, in software development. Um, you know, we're learning old machine code, just stuff that just was like from the late 80s and early 90s absolutely and i wanted to learn php and sql yep. and i wanted i wanted to learn what people were using right now and education couldn't provide that education has shifted it's it's a little bit more nimble these days but it mm -hmm. definitely then it was not very nimble yeah absolutely we were learning about you know tel television ads and you know billboards <laughs> things yeah. like that and we, yellow we just, pages yeah we had yep. We had no semblance of what, you know, we didn't know what social media was going to be. It okay. was before Facebook had their, you know, before they went public. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, okay, so uh, Ross Thomas, the photographer slash the brotographer, um, obviously you've always had your ties in in, uh, in fitness in one way or another. Um, you played basketball in college, so you, you had a very uh, sports-oriented upbringing, I take it. Um, and then you must have stayed tied into the fitness community somewhat to like start, want to start a clothing brand and maybe even a supplement brand. Um, how did all of that transition to you deciding to, uh, to open a gym? Well, I've always been a gym rat and back to college. I, 
I was a walk-on, and so I didn't play very much. And so I'd go work out for two hours across town in Fresno and weightlift for two hours before practice, you know, or before a game. I knew I wasn't playing that much. And I just sort of became a gym rat. And um, the same thing happened after college. I, you know, started running half marathons and, and just have loved lifting weights my whole life. And uh, when I started dating my wife, she uh, was a health science major with a fitness wellness emphasis, um, specifically on like, you know, personal training, biomechanics, stuff like that. And so she's always loved it. We began to love it together, love going to the gym together, never worked out together, but love going to the gym together. And uh, her background, I would say, was more so in the fitness world. You know, I was, I was just your gym rat. I loved everything about, you know, the body and how it worked and how to maximize strength and build muscle and just your typical dude. And that way I probably was a bro. The, bro, um, the brotographer fits. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. And uh, so she had more of the formal education and the experience. And so she worked anywhere as a, you know, she did home personal training in our early marriage all the way to, you know, the corporate side for one of the local, the chains, uh, regional chains around here. And um, we, we basically found that uh, in, in fitness, you can't really treat people the way you want to treat them uh, unless you own your own place. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the fitness world is, it's, it's an interesting world when we talk, we'll go back to marketing because people are constantly trying to figure out how to market to men and women in the fitness world. And we didn't necessarily agree with a lot of it. Um, we didn't want to prey on people. We wanted to build relationships with people and actually help them speak the truth to them. And, uh, we didn't really feel like that was going on too much. And, um, we were just kind of We've always said, like, oh, what if we had this facility? We had pipe dreams of, you know, like a big sports training con, like a complex. And uh, kind of just had an opportunity fall into our laps randomly um, through some relationships that, uh, you know, a gym might be for sale. And we went down that path. And once again, you know, family was great in helping us structure everything. And um, now we're, we're 16 months into running a gym. Nice. And it's not a gym full of weight racks. Yeah, it's a it's a cross training. Um, there are a lot of cross training places in the area, but we do cross training, bar fitness and Pilates. So we're, we're really well rounded, we feel like but it, it's all class based. And it's more like full body fitness, not just like, you know, you walk into a gym and you imagine just racks of weights and everybody's just working out like four muscles and that's it. Right. And we still break it. We break up our body parts a little bit. Um, Saturdays, we do full body, but we, we, change our muscle rotations pretty routinely. Uh, what was yesterday was like a lower body and like shoulder day. So a lot of compound movements, yep. you know, we're doing like a lot of squat and presses and deadlifts and uh, plyometric exercises. And uh, we'll have days that are, that are more strength-based, you know. I, we typically don't have like classic bodybuilding days, even though I would, I would definitely love one of those every once in a while. But, uh, but yeah, more, more cross-training and, uh, you know, functional fitness, we, we do use, you know, our dumbbells and kettlebells where we break out the sandbags and the ropes. And um, a lot of people call it boot camp style. But I think we have a, a, good, a good cross between, well, there's cross training. We have a good cross between um, bodybuilding, cardio, even though we never run, and um, like a, a good class and like personal training feel. So we, it's really well thought out. You know, we don't just, you'll never have two classes that are the same. We really uh, work out with purpose. Excellent. So, okay. So you've got 
the core fitness. Um, you've got the brotographer kind of brand that you're building up. Um, you see a lot of, especially in the fitness space. I mean, a lot of people, you know, they don't own a gym, they don't do anything, but they're in the fitness space. They're trying to amass followers, taking pictures and exercising and all this stuff, building, uh, with the hopes of becoming an influencer or whatever. Um, it sounds like you haven't fallen into that trap of like, I just want to build a bunch of followers and just see if I can make money. Like you've got other things going on that, um, to help kind of make sure that you actually have a future. Right. Absolutely. And even with our, our fitness stuff, we try and focus on, on, because we're not necessarily online, it is a brick and mortar. We focus more on relationships and building that little community than we do on, you know, taking a picture of us flexing and people being, you know, impressed by that or anything like that. Yeah, which is very easy to do, especially, you know, if you're in good shape and you have a camera and know how to use it, you could just take pictures and sell the image. Exactly. And there, a lot of gyms sell the image. Yeah, definitely. And there is a, there's definitely when it comes to our marketing, like we're getting ready to shoot a, a brand new round of marketing here. There is an image that you want to portray, uh, you know, after you've identified that customer who you want to market to. And so um, we do have, you know, three different types of fitness. One's a little bit more, more hardcore. And so, you know, that might, we might market it to, to people who want to just get after it and sweat it out and lift more. Um, and there's definitely an image that, that you can portray in that, in that way. Um, but yeah, there's, there's definitely a softer side of it too. But the, the, the photo and the video, you know, as I continue to learn, um, it's become, very important for me to to not shoot everything the same um you know some things need to look commercial and something some things you know we just shoot on an iphone um there's a time and a place for both so photography and video as you know you started out shooting photos and you've been utilizing video so you've transitioned to to kind of work the camera with both mindsets in in place um the, the creativity that comes from that, you've now translated that into how to market a fitness business. Absolutely. And I think video specifically, I, I used to be, you know, solely dedicated towards photography and then just shoot video of myself talking about photography and what I'm learning and the gear that I'm using and stuff like that. And now um, I, I think that video plays such a huge role in, you know, the online world, in, you know, the marketing of any business it's very easy for people to look at a photo and think something about it. But it's, it's way better, in my opinion, to be able to, you know, tell a story to them, to have, you know, inspirational, you know, interviews with someone um, and testimonials or to show that specific look. You can, you can try and dial it in in one shot, but it's a lot better, in my opinion, to, to build that cohesive story. And I think that, um, one, I think that's why, camera sales are down lately i think photographers are morphing into videographers as well um so they don't necessarily need to to, to buy as many new photo cameras but um but yeah i i almost enjoy video a little bit more than photography lately it's it's a challenge for me to learn you know lighting for video with a moving subject and keep something in focus and tell a story at the same time so that that challenge in learning that was there in the beginning is kind of has kind of been reignited with, with video. And I think especially for my business, video is such a, a huge, 
um, factor in being able to, to tell that story and, you know, market to people the way you want to market to them. In, in thinking about marketing and your gym, why do you think storytelling is more important than just showing a photo and letting the person's, you know, emotions tell the story for themselves? That's a really good question. Um, you can control a little bit of the narrative with a video. Uh, with a photo, someone, like you said, someone's going to have a, a raw emotion. They're going to see it, and it's like a painting. One person could see that, and they could it can make them cry, and one person could see it, and it can make them angry. But I, I think with video, it just it allows you to control that narrative and tell the story you want to. Um, and then people can react the way they want. But, uh, but yeah. Well, and maybe even with a photo, you know, you look at a photo, and I mean, you know, they still put magazines at the checkout line, hoping that the photo on that grabs your attention, maybe a couple of the words. Um, but really, that's like they're utilizing, when you look at a photo and there's no context and you just see a photo, you're painting a picture based off of your understanding, which also may, there may be a lot of misconception in there, right? Oh, absolutely. People's and past experiences past pretty experiences. much determine what they think about that. Exactly. And so you, you have to, and especially if you're trying to differentiate yourself from someone else, because if all you're doing is posting photos of pretty people that are fit or whatever, and like come work out at our gym, like how do you differentiate yourself? And you talked about like how, you know, you reach a, a, a type of person, a specific type of person. You also have a gym that is located in a certain type of neighborhood. Um, and, and so it probably attracts a different type of clientele than your planet fitness type of gym, you know, where they're, they're just trying to get as many people in the door as possible. Absolutely. So you have to tell a story. You have to help them understand the difference mm -hmm. and why there's value in the difference, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, we're not a, a $10 a month gym and we never will be. Our, our goal is to, like I said, have a more well thought out approach with which, with each individual day. Um, no workouts the same, but when you get in that door, it, it is about the community. It is about not just the community as this, you know, nondescript term out there. Um, but it's, it's about those people in that specific community. And you develop these relationship with the, relationships with the, with the instructors and with the other people in your classes. And uh, it's, it's so important. It's, uh, it's one of the reasons that, that we wanted to, to have our own place was to, to not be the same and to be different. Because, man, it, it sticks out like a sore thumb um, when you're different in a good way. Now, you know, you can, you can take fitness classes on the internet, you know, there's all sorts of services, put one on your Apple TV and work out in your living room. Mm -hmm. I think you identified an interesting thing there that one of the things that happens when people come into a class is they, they are surrounded with people who are trying to achieve similar things. Um, they meet new people, they're uh, expanding their horizons, they're hearing stories from other people. Like that's, that's something that you really can't get unless you join a type of environment like you're trying, like you're sure, building. Sure. And it's, we see it all the time where, you know, people are, are used to having, you know, been at a, a big box gym where they pay 10 bucks a month and they go and they run on the treadmill and lift a little bit of weights and there's, there's no direction, but they come and in six months that later, they're like, you know, me and so-and-so, you know, Judy and, 
and Lindsay are, are going out this weekend. Do you want to go with me? And they all met at the gym. And it's really interesting because it, it becomes part of your daily life. And, uh, and then it just becomes, you just do life with those people. Um, just like you become friends with coworkers. Uh, when you work at an office, you're around the same people every day and you like some of them and you don't like some of them. But, uh, but, at, the, but at Core Fitness, um, people really kind of do become your family. We've gained so many new friends, uh, people in the community, you. Um, just having people in that little tight-knit community that you see quite often, it, it just, you end up doing life with them and, and they just turn into your friends. And that's, that's a really, really big, it's, it's, it's bigger than fitness us is is cultivating that now knowing knowing that you have knowledge of shooting video taking photos and all this stuff you obviously have an understanding of how to build a following on social media wouldn't it just be so much easier just to make some online fitness courses and try and sell a membership oh you know i've i've racked my brain for a year and a half on how to utilize my you know, brotographer <laughs> skills and my software development skills. Um, not that I ever had a ton of those, but yeah, you, you, you do lose, you just lose that feel. Um, you know, you can sell meal plans and do all that online, but that's just not the business I want to be in. Um, it's just, it's very impersonal and there's a time and a place for you to expand your horizons online. Absolutely. But, um, I think that all that all that comes with time, and I think um, in that space, you know, we really haven't, you know, developed ourselves as a a national presence or anything, or regional, or, or anything like that, or even within California. So people don't know us, and they can't, uh, they don't really know who we are and what we're about, and so why are they going to listen to us? But because we're able to touch those people every day um, in the gym, they 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 trust us. And, um, if we're gonna, you know, talk to them about nutrition or something like that, they're much more inclined to, to buy it from us. But I almost see it as a waste of time to just make a whole bunch of content and throw it at the wall and see what sticks. See like what sticks. Exactly. About it's much harder to build a community when you can't touch that community. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. So, um, so let's, let's end this with uh, a little bit of talking about building, a following. I know, um, you know, probably even if there's some people who came to listen to this because uh, they know you through your Instagram or whatnot, um, maybe they're trying to build a community. They're trying to build something around something and you've been able to uh, achieve that. Like, what would you offer as like a piece of advice to somebody who's saying like, you know, I really like this. I've identified what I enjoy and what I want to talk about, but I have no idea how to find that community, how to niche, right. how, how to like not niche down essentially to find a smaller piece of, of whatever it is that they enjoy, but to find the people that enjoy that uh, so sure. that they can build a following around it. I'd say number one, well, I'm definitely not an expert. <laughs> That's okay. No, I don't, I, I don't think anybody really is because yeah. every, every category that you could potentially go down, whether it be cameras or fitness or, you cook really good and take sure. great pictures. Like it's a different community. Sure. So you have to Absolutely. attack it different. And, and social media is such, is such a hard thing to grasp and to understand and to even act like, you know what you're talking about. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think I understand quote unquote the algorithm for a while and then it all changes and I'm learning just like the rest of us. But I think number one is to, to be authentic and be who you are. Don't 
try to be the version of something that you think people want to see. Now, I talked earlier about like, you know, showing aspirational things like cool cameras or lenses or whatever. But that's that's who I was. And I I had aspirations of that, too. And so that way I was authentic. Be authentic. Be who you are. I like working out. You know, I have a family. I'm not afraid to show them. Um, I'm not afraid to show me working out. Um, It's just who I am. So you look at all, you know, the YouTube channels and things like that. Um, People develop that relationship like we talked about. They, They feel like they know them. So just be authentic um, when you're online. Number two, if you're trying to build something, whatever that is, identify what that is. You know, what are you trying to build? Um, Is it a blog? Is it an Instagram page? Are you talking about consumer electronics? Are you talking about photography, video? Is it just lifestyle? Is it fashion? Is it makeup? Identify something. And it could be a variety of those things, um, you know, mixed in. But identify what those things are and then go create that content and create it consistently. Whether it's, you know, it could be a, a, a tweet, a, an Instagram picture, you know, it could be a story. But just do it consistently so that when someone does, you know, happen to find you, they, they stick around and they come back the next day and there's something and they come back the next day. And I've, I've definitely made that mistake on YouTube as well um, of you know, just because I do have a job that takes 12 hours a day, not being able to post that consistent content. But on Instagram, um, it's been a lot easier for me, especially in the beginning, to post that consistent content. And I think that was an integral part um, in in growing so quickly was consistency. It doesn't have to be the best in the world. Just be authentic and do it consistently. And, uh, and I think people will respond. And it doesn't mean that you... Um, it doesn't mean that you grow very quick and it doesn't mean that it's going to become a successful career for you. I, de- I don't support myself on the photographer. I make a little money on the side, um, but I definitely don't support myself even yet, but, but doing it consistently and then tr- just try and learn about your craft more and more. I, I learn about photo and video all day. I, you know, I brought a, I brought a camera here today to, because I'm not an expert and I know you've used a certain camera that I have in to ask you a question about it and, you know, see if you can figure it out and uh, just continuously learn about your craft and try and learn about social media as well. You know, notice trends, see patterns in your head, you know, be a rain man with, with social media. Um, just try and see patterns and see what works and that'll help you identify who your audience is and what kind of questions are being asked. Cause that's going to let you know, oh, I should probably do this content. I'm consistently getting this question. I should do some content on this question. You might be a fashion blogger and you're asked about, you know, what are the best heels to wear or something like that. Well, maybe you should write a post on, you know, the top 10 heels for you to wear to your high school formal or something like that. But notice patterns and consistently create content around those things. Um, And just be passionate. There, just be passionate about what you do. Have don't be afraid to have fun and have a little personality. Um, but yeah, I I think for me, I have no clue why I am as big as I am on Instagram. Um, but I I hit something with the algorithm, and I, I know that to be true is just evident in the numbers. Um, going from ten, it took me ten thousand or a year to hit ten thousand followers. Um, but I, I hit something with that algorithm and started seeing those patterns and seeing those trends and just hit it hardcore and consistently. And that helped me grow, you know, twice as fast. 
Um, but just just be aware of what you're doing. Uh, it's a lot of advice. Be passionate. Be consistent. You know, create your content. Um, I see a lot of people on Instagram just reposting everyone else's content, and I always give them the advice to maybe maybe consider mixing in some of your own content or something like that. Sure. Um, but just just own what you do. Never be afraid to to you know to learn or to be the dumbest person in the room. <laughs> so, uh, in in closing out this episode. Uh, what is your current, like if, if we're, if you wanted everybody to see one thing like right now, like where should they go? What should they be looking at? I would say, um, my YouTube and, and Instagram accounts. Um, I put the most time and effort into those two things. You know, one is more so photography and the other is more, you know, obviously video oriented. Um, and I shoot more on my, my YouTube channel. But, uh, but yeah, youtube.com slash the brotographer. And then my Instagram handle is the underscore brotographer. Excellent. Hey, well, thanks so much for, uh, hanging out and we knocked out an hour long podcast. It yeah. felt like 15 minutes. Yeah. Um, I ramble. I told but you. I, that's all right. But you know what? I, I like digging into, um, the past and looking at what led a person to be, because it's often that we find that there wasn't like anything amazing. It was just consistent, hard work, trying, not giving up. And that's amazing in and of itself. And I love hearing about stories like that because it just, it, it, it lets all of us know that it doesn't matter where you come from, what background you have or whatever, as long as you're willing to try and continuously try, even when you have some setbacks you know, even when you find out some things that are frustrating or whatever, um, as long as you keep moving forward, absolutely, you're I, gonna get somewhere. I listen to Adam Carolla sometimes, and he may rub some people the wrong way, but he talks about grit quite consistently. And you can overcome so much in life with just grit. Just grin and bear it, and just do it. Just do it. Awesome. All right. Well, hey, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. Appreciate your time. And everybody, make sure to go check out his uh, Instagram if you haven't, um, if you came here because uh, of, of him bringing people here to hear this uh, episode. I welcome you here and hope to see you back in the next one. Take care. Awesome. Thanks for having me. All right. All right.